In the 2016 report entitled Alcohol, Drugs in the Workplace, the Role of Medical Professionals, the British Medical Association defined addiction and dependence as a state of needing or depending on something or someone for support and to function or survive. Of course, the nation's doctors were referring to alcohol and psychoactive drugs as the source of these addictions, but it could easily refer to anything that takes hold over someone with what might be termed an addictive personality. Subutio, for instance. In this episode of Finger Flicking Good, we'll be looking at Subutio as a source of addiction or obsession. What is it that drives people to become what can only be described as obsessed with collecting teams of little plastic men on bull-shaped bases? What makes a grown man wake up in the morning and want to spend hours building a replica of a football stadium? All that, and much more, coming up in this episode of Finger Flicking Good. Keep listening. When the global coronavirus pandemic struck in February of last year, I couldn't have imagined that a game I'd last played around 2012 would come to play such a central role in my life. I remember clearly the day in early April when my attention was drawn back to the piece of MDF propped up against the garage wall that had sat there undisturbed and gathering dust for nigh on eight years. I know now what it was that made me get it down and clean it up. It was the need to fill those long, seemingly endless days in lockdown when, rudderless and without work, many of us would make for the sofa and binge on Netflix box sets of Peaky Blinders or Breaking Bad. It didn't take long for the obsession with Subutio to take hold, which probably indicates that I may be possessed of an addictive nature myself. Within days, I was setting up a lockdown league and had enlisted the support of my 22-year-old son in this enterprise. 32 teams organised into three leagues with promotion and relegation. It seemed like I had lost the plot. Or had I? It was fun, and unlike alcohol, drug or sex addiction, it wasn't hurting anyone. I went online and found that I wasn't the only one who had reconnected with their childhoods in this way. It turned out that there were literally hundreds of us. Collectors players, stadium builders and painters, each with a story to tell, and in that moment of realisation, the seed for this very podcast series was planted. Alan Crampton, who is active on Twitter as Subutio Passion, like many I have interviewed for this podcast, had played the game as a child, but the roots of his obsession, like mine, can be traced back to the coronavirus pandemic. Here he is describing what got him into collecting the heavyweight teams of his childhood. Obviously, I started buying the products um, way back in '71. But as a collector, uh, you know, and, and buying old stock, if you like, um, I started buying heavyweights from about February last year. Um, so, uh, so officially, probably as a collector, February last year. I asked Alan if he thought he was obsessed with the game. Uh, yes, right now. <laughs> But well, I've, I have a website um, um, of which now uh, I'm filming games. Um, well, shortly um, doing a World Cup, um, uh, which I should be filming uh, a lot of the games. Um, I use the website to uh, to do match reports on every single game. Um, I keep paper records of every single match that I play. Um, Every spare minute of every day that I have, if I'm not working or I have family commitments, um, I've got my own Subutio room. 
um, which I'm I'm in right now. Um, the website keeps me going. I play. I've got the collection. Um, I also have a Facebook site, um, so uh, it all keeps me busy. So uh, it is, um, especially during the um, these lockdown times, um, and not pretty much able to do much else. Um, this is what's taking up my time. Paul Darks, who has a Twitter name Sabutio Pad, is another who has come to terms with his obsession, although it's not without its problems. Here he is describing how his love of Sabutio has never really gone away. Oh, Derek, believe me, Jesus, it's nearly caused divorces. Um, it is, it is, it did. Um, as I say, I nearly bought last year, I nearly it was bordering on that much of an excess and there was a bloke selling some taxidermy. It was a Falco Sabutio hobby bird. And, uh, I, I, I was running out of things to like, what can I buy? What can I buy? And I, I nearly bid on that and I had to stop it. It's, it, it, yeah, it is an obsession, mate. It's, I didn't think anybody else cared about the game. Do you know what I mean? And, but yeah, it, I, I am obsessed. It's sad. I know, but I am. <laughs> oh God. I'm, I just, I just, to be honest, Derek, honestly, my collection was locked away for years. Um, you know, like everybody else, come 82, 83, I probably stopped messing about with it. Then I met my wife in 86 and her brother started to get into it. So I started to have a little dabble again about 89, 88, 89. He got into it and then I left it alone then. And then I started to really start collecting again in 2000, about, it'd be about 2007 maybe 2008 i opened up a sh uh, i used to run an ebay shop in tamworth or you know um it was an actual shop where like people brought me stuff and i sold it for them so i started to get bits of sabutio coming through the shop and i thought oh wow you know i remember this and and that's how that's when it really really took off i'd say about 2008 and then i started going bananas buying stuff ridiculous honestly what you know, but that's when, as I say, you could get a box full for a tenner. Do you know what I mean? And nobody was interested in it. You know, it, it's just crazy the way it's gone. Just crazy. So it's clear that Sabutio can take over your life, especially if it's linked to a love of football culture in general. Here's Ross Makovic, who is better known on social media as Sabutio Brummy, talking about the addictive nature of the game. I started by asking him if he thought his love of Sabutio bordered on an obsession. It's a good question. Possibly, because when you think about the amount of time that you probably do look on the internet for new items and what you can get for a bargain, I'd probably, I'd probably say so, yeah. Because every day of my life kind of revolves around it in some capacity, whether or not that's looking for items on eBay, Facebook Marketplace whether it's to, we're talking with the guys on Twitter, on Instagram, every day consists of Sabutio of some sort. So I'd probably say obsession is, is one of those words, isn't it? I guess you could kind of take it out of context. But I guess there's a really good community at the minute in regards to Sabutio. Everyone seems to know one another online. And everyone, every day we're pretty, pretty much speaking to one another, I guess, um, sharing content, watching videos that the guys do, listening to podcasts. So... Yeah, I'd say so, um, but I don't think that's a bad thing. At the end of the day, it's like the um, it's like the translation in Latin of Sabuto. It's a hobby, isn't it? So everyone is kind of into it. Um, 
and yeah, I guess if that's the case, like even it's in relation to football as well, isn't it? Everyone's got a love for football, so they're kind of like it's it's like two in one, I guess, and they kind of link with one another. So yeah, uh, I don't know if I, obsession is the word, but certainly addictive would be probably be more it more more the word for it, I guess. Just in case you were thinking that residents of the West Midlands were the only people in the country obsessed with Sabutio, here's a familiar voice from Essex to describe how his love of the game has bordered on an obsession. Many a time. <laughs> so many a time I've looked at bank statements and credit card bills and thought, oh my God, why have I just spent that amount of money? So many a time. I mean, even when I sit here and look in front of me, uh, all these teams in front of me in this stadium setup, I think, oh, this is cool. Yeah, sometimes I do look at the bank statement and think, oh, I really shouldn't have done that. This is money I could have spent on clothes. I could have spent it on the kids, maybe. And I think, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm a little bit too obsessed and this is the wrong thing to do. But then I just go and spend a load more money and it makes it feel better. <laughs> Stuart Grant, a.k.a. the Subutio Collector there, describing what it is that drives his particular obsession. Of course. The Subutio community embraces lots of subgroups, players, collectors, stadium builders and painters. But what if you're a true renaissance man and embrace all four aspects of the game? Surely it would be easy for it all to overwhelm you. Here's David Hogard, who's on Twitter as GoTableSoccer, talking about just that. At times, yes. <laughs> but um, uh, I, I think... I've got it into perspective really now, you know, especially if, if, if I think I'm taking it too seriously, I'll just take a break. Um, I mean, from a collecting point of view, I'm not really doing that much um, of what, what classes the original kind of stuff. Um, uh, I tend to have spurts where, you know, I would do a bit collecting, do a bit painting, step back. And I, I think, I get fully immersed in it, whichever part I'm doing, but then I can move on to something else. Because as you know, I do the 3D printing, so that's taken up quite a lot of my time. Um, so I maybe become a little bit obsessive on that. Um, <laughs> and then if you do uh, painting, you can get right into that and do nothing but paint for quite a long time um you know uh i'm now moving into doing some slightly more scenics for the models and again it's another thing that i'm getting into so i'm spreading myself quite thinly now so i don't think i can obsess too much about everything if you know what i mean or one specific thing yeah Stephen Hurrell writes the influential blog Subutio Online and, like Stuart Grant, is another member of the Netflix YouTube team. He admits that it's easy to let Subutio take up an inordinate amount of time and he can also see how Subutio might appeal to those with an addictive personality. I mean, it does. It takes up a, a huge amount of my life and time um, and thankfully I've got a very understanding wife um, but, but I think these, you know, Saputio and, and you see football kit collectors and Panini sticker collectors and that sort of thing, um, these sorts of things really reach out to people who want to love football but to have that sort of obsessive personality. 
Um, and I think a lot of the fun with Sabutio is that people take it too far. You know, incredible stadiums, huge collections. Um, you know, people are 3D printing their own now. Um, I, I think that's, a, that's the joy of Sabutio. It's a bit silly. It's a silly hobby. But when it's taken too far, it can be really fun and really exciting. Simon Stewart, Sabutio Podjov on Twitter, who we first met in last week's episode on playing Sabutio abroad, is someone who seems to have his attitude to the game in perspective. Although he has, in the past, taken it more seriously than he does now, obsession is not a term he would use to describe himself, although playing more than most has had its advantages over the years. Uh, <coughs> obsession. No, I guess I, I guess not. Maybe when I was younger, I think I took it quite seriously when I was probably about 15, 16, 17. Uh, I wouldn't say I was obsessional about it because I'd also started to find friends at that stage and go out. But I did take it very seriously and I did, you know, try and practice maybe not every night or anything, but certainly at weekends I would probably set aside a few hours uh, for practice, which is sort of like, I guess, what it's called now, a solo plan. And that's, is that, I guess that's where I learned as well the goalkeeper with my left hand because I'd be shooting with my right hand and using the goalkeeper with my left. So even today when I play, I often hold my goalkeeper with my left hand. Sabutio was, of course, invented and marketed as a children's toy, but over the years it has, like many other children's toys, such as model aircraft, model railways, scale electric, been pretty much hijacked by older, wealthier men. As I've said in earlier episodes of this podcast, when I was playing Sabutio as a child, there were no collectors or stadium builders, and the only adults who played the game were fathers and grandfathers, who were often reluctantly press-ganged into playing with their sons and grandsons. Nowadays, the modern game appears to be the preserve of older, if not old, people. Which brings up that famous quote from the first book of Corinthians, chapter 13, verse 11, which reads, When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. I wonder, would the writers of the New Testament, if they were alive today, still include that verse, knowing what we know about the addictive nature of humans and how things which they played with as children still had the power to bewitch them well into adulthood? For a long time, I was afraid to admit my passion for the game. During the first lockdown in 2020, I would spend hours scrolling through my phone looking at photographs of self-painted teams, stadium builds and box sets for sale on eBay. I'm not afraid to use the term subutio as porn, and it seems I'm not the only one. Here's Paul Darks again. Yes! <laughs> every night, every day, you know, if I've got any spare time, I'm, I'm on my phone and I'll search, I'll crawl and search and... Yeah, definitely. It's it, it's an addiction. It, it it is an addiction. There's no choice about it. It's you, you know, I can come home and the first thing I do, I have my dinner, and then I get straight on my phone and I'm on eBay looking what's ending soonest, what's newly listed. Uh, search through Google for and YouTube for collections, and I sit and watch stadium builds, and it's mad. It's mad. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I'd have to agree. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Stuart Grant is another of our contributors who might be described as a regular consumer of Subutio porn. All the time. I've probably done it today. Probably sitting there on my lunch at work and I'm just scrolling through 
the multitude amounts of groups on Facebook, not sort of the main ones like the revival group and stuff like that. There's a gentleman called uh, Mark Skellen, if you know him. He's got a group. He's got an amazing, amazing heavyweight collection, and he's gradually uploading bits to that on his showcase. And yeah, just looking through that, you sort of find I'm looking through drooling, and I then think, oh god, I've got to get back to work now. It's too late. Or I'll sit up at night watching multiple YouTube channel dedicated to Subutio and watching people talk like I do. Rubbish about it. There's so many great channels on there now. It's hard not to do. I've sat there for hours looking at the new heavyweight book, just looking at pictures of little plastic men. Sometimes you do look at it and think this figure's like five centimetres higher and I'm sitting here really excited about it. It's worrying sometimes. <laughs> So should we be embarrassed by what we love, or should we embrace it? Here's Paul Darks again, on what it was like to come out to his friends as a secret Subutio collector. I kept it from my mates for years, do you know what I mean? You know, I kept it, honestly, I, you didn't tell them, but when they eventually found out, um, you know, that they knew I, they knew I, I liked Subutio, because when I had my shop, uh, they all used to treat it as like a drop-in centre, and uh, I'd have it all displayed on the back wall I, as you walked in. Um, all the all my Subutio I'd got on the on the back wall, uh, not as much as what I've got now, but there was there was there was a good amount. So they knew I was interested in it. And do you know what? Every 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 everyone I've never heard anybody say a bad thing about Subutio. Without it's always been good. I've never heard anybody like you know like slag it off. It they, they've always said, oh, I remember that, you know. And so and then I started to think, hang on, it it might not be such a bad idea, at, you know. Because it, honestly, it was kept secret for ages. No, nobody knew that I'd got a collection like I have. Uh, but as I say, with the internet and all that, I just thought, hang on, there's other people out there like me. Um, as I say, up until five years ago, I don't think I was a member of any any groups or sites, or because I, I I thought it had gone. Do you know what I mean? I thought it, it it had totally gone. It's weird. Simon Stewart, however, is someone who has never been embarrassed to admit. He was a Subutio player. Uh, but no, I, and about being embarrassed as well, part of your question, no, actually, I used to be a trainer when I lived in Ireland. I used to go out and do training. And one of the icebreakers that we did was we would ask the people in the room who might not necessarily know each other, but we would ask them to, to tell tell something about themselves that maybe their friends in the room or the people in the room wouldn't know about them or is a bit strange. So being the being the sort of training leader, I always went first. And my, my one always was that I used to play for Subutio for Northern Ireland and played at the World Cup. And because, going back to that cultural question, because Subutio is known, everybody in the new room knew what it was and thought it was hilarious that there was even a World Cup for Subutio. But, so I've always been kind of proud of its kind of geeky, off, off the pace or sort of, you know, sort of image, I guess. Uh, so I've never been ashamed of it, and yeah, I'm quite, I'm, I, I'm quite proud of it. You know that I, I play a little game that nobody else really plays, and and I guess that everyone remembers as well. So yeah, no, I, I'm not quite obsessional about it, and I'm a lot more, I'm a lot more easygoing now with my play, and that it's more about fun for me. Winning and losing's nice, but or winning's nice anyway, but it's not the be all and end all. It's all about, it's all about the people you meet really for me. So I'm, I'm not as obsessional as I used to be. Of course, any addiction has its cost. With Subutio, as we have seen, it can be the hours spent trawling the internet for your next image to drool over, or building the stadium of your childhood dreams. But for those who don't just play but collect, it can also be a financial cost. 
I asked each of our contributors if there was ever a time that they spent too much on a single item. First up are two of our more financially cautious collectors, Ross Makovich and after him, Simon Stewart. Um, well, funnily enough, this week, I finally got something I really wanted for a long time. And it doesn't sound like a, a big thing, really, but I've, I finally got a box set of Italian 90 goals. And it was just pure by luck that I found it on eBay for Buy It Now, and they were for £20. So I got in pretty quick. Um, and then I checked a few other items um, that are similar this week, and they're still in bidding process, and they've gone above that. So I feel like that's... I mean, for £20 for gold, people might think, oh, that's a bit much. But for what that was, I was pleased to get it. I guess what I pro- one thing I did probably pay a bit too much for was uh, for a Leeds United Hasbro Premier League set. paid £25 for that uh, a number of months back. Um, considering that it's a lightweight and then it's like a mid-90s set, probably that's why it probably paid a little bit too much for it. But I just really liked it. It was in pristine condition. It's got the Premier League back in uh in the box as well the figures are absolutely immaculate they've even got a scratch on them um so for a lightweight team it was probably a bit too much considering its age but i'm happy to do that i'm happy to pay a little bit more like um it's like we talked spoke about a number of months back people will pay a lot of money for the league cup i don't think i would unless i got it for a bargain but if i got a personal preference or if there's something i'd like like that leeds united set i'll I'll, for it um, so I'll probably say that's one of the, the items I probably paid a little bit more for um, off the top of my head in terms of sets I probably paid for a France 98 set I think I paid about £30 for that as well um, which is probably a little bit too much considering it, I mean the box was a little bit tatty and again but it's something I wanted it was something I wanted to add to the collection so I'm, if if it's something I want or it's something that, I, that takes my fancy I'm always happy to pay a little bit more but as I said a, a number of months back on the podcast, I'm always looking for a bargain more than, more than anything. If I can get something cheap, awesome. Um, but yeah, as I say, if there's something that I really like, I'm always happy to pay a little bit more. Never. Never. I, most of my collection is from when I was a child. Uh, every week or every every other week or so, uh, my mum would take me into Belfast in the 80s and there was a big toy shop there. Everybody in Northern Ireland will remember in Leisure World. And I always used to go there and probably spend, I don't know, sometimes I would spend an hour going through the teams and maybe having a collection of five, five teams and trying to whittle it down to one uh, that I could get. So most of my collections from then, the only thing I've, things I've really bought more recently in the past couple of years, I spent maybe 15, 20 euro on a, a heavyweight team just so I could have a heavyweight team here in Germany. I do, I've, like I said, I've got a lot of my collection back in Ireland, but uh, getting an individual team since a bit difficult. So I just bought myself a new heavyweight team, twenty euro, and I got an absolute bargain. I got a, a continental set from nineteen seventy two, Dutch edition, and I got that for twenty five euro. Uh, like I said, I'm not. Uh, I have a bit of a collection. I'm not a huge collector, collector, but I bought that set uh, for the pitch. Really, I've always wanted an old seventies cotton pitch. So when the set arrived for €25, I was blown away by the fact that it was completely intact. It was completely immaculate. There was still the old uh, advertisements and newsletters and everything still inside, all written in Dutch. Uh, So €25, I think that was €25. €25 is the most I've I've gone, but I'm not obsessional. 
about it. And I see on online a lot of guys are collecting and spending money, but for me that's not the important thing. I it's it's playing and painting is really my thing, and having a little having a little team here and there that I can use different, like a heavyweight or a zombie team, just to play against my friends. I like to have that, but. Which leads me to, to think, what will I do with my collection? Should I should I think about selling it? Or, But for me, it's about childhood memories, and I don't like to part with them because I look at all those teams that I have back in Ireland. Uh, I guess some of them are quite rare, and it, it brings me back to a time when I used to play with them. And they're not all in great condition either because I play with them. I'm a player rather than a collector, so I've never spent that much, I guess. Some of our contributors were remarkably candid about what they felt they may have overspent on. Here's Stuart Grant telling me about a time when he was caught out by hidden charges. I once bought a team from an auction, not an eBay auction, a proper auction house, and I knew there was fees and percentages on top, but after doing it, I didn't realise quite how much them fees were on top. And if I had the opportunity to go back, I probably would have thought, no, don't spend that amount of money because it ended up resulting in sort of another 20, 30 pound on top, which I didn't really want to pay. So, yeah, that farm team I bought a few years ago, that I bought from auction. That was a learning curve buying something, buying that because I thought I was buying it for a decent price. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't cheap. But then, yeah, once I uh, got the bill and the full invoices, I realized it was storage charges, auction charges. I was like, oh, no. That was silly. And with an auction, you just can't get out of it. Generally, I'm quite good. Generally, I'm quite good at reserving money and sort of saying, no, I won't overspend. But yeah, with that team, I did go a bit crazy and think, oops, that was a mistake. <laughs> but then it's proud of place in front of me now. So I don't think so because it's definitely well worth having. Paul Darks is another who is willing to pay the market price, but only if the item is something he's been chasing for a while. Ah, my dearest item was bought a few months back. A few months back, because I'd been after a set for ages. Um, I paid, I paid about two hundred quid for a sport billy. That was with delivery. It was in Australia. Uh, I, I couldn't believe it when I saw it because the guy had actually got two sets, um, and I'd always wanted it. I'd never seen one in good condition in all the years I've been looking, and this was perfect. So I paid two hundred quid. I did get the go ahead. I did ask her first, and I said, you know. Can I have this? I've been after it for ages. Uh, but that's the most expensive thing I've ever bought. That that was £200. But everything else, down, I swear, like all my teams, people say, look how many teams you've got. Look how many teams you've got. I, I can honestly say I've never paid more than £10 for any team. Teams are not my thing. It, you know, if they fall into my lap, they fall into my lap. But I've never gone out and thought, oh, God, I've got to get that team. Uh, the teams I've got have all fell into my lap, all come in job lots. Uh, and I've never gone after a team like what, what I see some collectors pay. I admire them, but I think, wow, you know, I'd sooner have a couple of box sets or some I haven't got. <laughs> it's strange, really. But Stephen Huddle is someone who has a budget and he sticks to it, which often leads to disappointment. But it's a disappointment he can get over very quickly, thanks to his online blog. No, I, I, I'm... I'm actually very careful with my spending and, and you know, the, the reason why I'm on social media and, and, you know, sharing pictures of other people's collections and stadiums and everything else is because that's my way of sort of preventing myself from spending too much. I can live vicariously through other people's. Um, I do have a rule where I don't spend over a certain amount and that's quite a low amount, um, which means that a lot of my collection is the the sort of thing that you can readily buy on you know eBay and on the on the sharing groups. 
that aren't too expensive. Um, as a general rule, I aim for under £20 for a team. Um, for accessories, you know, £30, £40 is probably a limit, um, which makes it difficult now as prices go up. But it, it, it's done me quite well, and I'm happy to be patient and wait around for a bargain as opposed to uh, overpaying for something. Alan Crampton is another who sticks to a budget, but he's canny enough to know that anything he thinks he has paid too much for, he can recover if he ever decides to sell, such as the current state of the online market. Um, well, I'm, I'm not in a position really where um, I can spend too much, to be fair. Um, I, have to, um, I have to be careful what I am spending, um, obviously because I have other outgoings. Um, but... Um, yeah, um, I would say I've probably um, spent too much on one or two items, um, but uh, the value of the items I would get back if I needed to or wanted to sell. For some collectors, though, if it's something they really, really want, they'll pay the price it's being asked. Here's David Hoggard on a time when he did probably pay over the odds for something and how it has since tempted his attitude to spending. Um, probably. <laughs> I, I think at the time, that was when I was in my main collecting phase. And as you know, I have a fondness for Torino. And I picked up a, a Torino 98. Or, uh, is it? No, it's 99, isn't it? Um, see, that's the problem when you actually forget the actual reference numbers. Um, it was in a... It was quite expensive and probably overly expensive, um, but I wanted it and I thought, well, have it. And that's the most expensive thing in my collection. Um, it's in a Delacoste uh, name box as well. Um, so at the time, I felt like I could justify spending that money on it. Uh, would I spend that amount of money again on a team? No, because there's other things I'd rather spend my money on. Um, you know, like like I've said before, there's lots of talented people out there creating things, and if I can support them, I'd rather put my money into the other painters, creators, you know, for example, like Westwood Table Soccer. As we have seen, Collecting Subutio products can be an addictive and hugely expensive vice. I put it to Stuart Grant, the Subutio collector, that the whole raison d'etre of his YouTube channel means that he's almost tied himself into constantly buying and sharing those items with his subscribers online. That's exactly it. I did think at one point about maybe doing something separate on the channel and, fit, and maybe trying something completely different. But... I thought, no, it won't. what if it don't get views? What if people in the Subutio community don't like it? And then maybe get two communities mashing. So, yeah, I suppose maybe I've, I've done myself a mischief there in, I suppose, typecasting myself is the right word, isn't it? I've typecasted myself as a Subutio collector, and now this is me for life. But I'll take it. I've got a lot of years left in me, so I'll take it. <laughs> Stephen Huddle feels that many collectors put pressure on themselves by trying to be completists with a hobby that by the chaotic nature of Subutio manufacturing in the 1960s and 70s makes this task virtually impossible. No, and I mean, it's stressful. You know, there, there are teams that are, are so rare that, you know, that there's one or two that I've, you know, even ever heard about. Um, and I think that 
the interesting thing about Sabitio as opposed to maybe other collections is it's not a completionist thing to do. Um, there were so many teams, you know, I think um, I did read a report where there were about 2,500 different teams with different variations created, but that's a guess because nobody really knows. Sabitio actually hired somebody at one point to um, become the sort of archiver and try and bring all that information together and they found it incredibly difficult to you know, just find out what, what has been produced in the past. Um, but what that means is that the, there's no way of ever completing a Sabutio collection. So what you can do is you can really narrow in and say, well, how about I just collect the teams of the 94 World Cup or the, you know, the, the top division teams from 1976? Or, you know, so you can really make the collection what you want without worrying about, you know, desperately trying to scrabble around to complete something because it's almost impossible to do that. But addicts of all kinds need a support network. For alcoholics, there's a 10-step program and sponsor system of Alcoholics Anonymous. For gamblers, there's Gamble Aware and their striking slogan, When the Fun Stops Stop. For most Tabutio addicts, though, help is closer at hand. Here's Paul Darks explaining where his support comes from, even if that support is sometimes stretched to a breaking point. Mm, and, but to be fair... I'll say to her, I'll say, oh, look at this, look at this, look at this bit of Sabutio on eBay. And, uh, you know, I really, she goes, I'm not, she, she goes, I don't, I don't care. She's really good, to be fair. She knows, she knows what she was, what I was like before she married me. That was like 30 years ago. So I'm not going to change. So, but eventually she did, she give in. And um, it, it, you, you got to have an understanding, Mrs. If she's going to let you have the top floor of an house and she's golden, especially when, the bet the best bet was the a, a couple of weeks ago I had to get a fruit machine up, up two flights of stairs and I absolutely wrecked the stairs. I, the banisters come off. I put dents in the plaster, uh, and you know what? She never batted an eyelid. She never batted an eyelid, <laughs> and uh, I finally got it up here. And that was that was one of my dreams. That was one of my goals to get that up here. But she's so good. She's such a good. She's a good woman. She's a good woman, and I'm glad to have her. She's the best wife I've ever had. If Sabutio really is an addiction for some, then the question is, can they give it up? It's often said that for alcoholics and drug addicts, the first step is an acceptance that there is a problem, and the next is that they need to want to give it up. With my tongue firmly in my cheek, I asked each of our contributors if they had ever considered getting clean. I don't think you'll be surprised by their responses. First up, it's Sabutio Brummy, Ross Makovich. <laughs> um yeah kind of going like um giving it up i just thought no not really I, I mean i guess the the older i've got the more into i've got into um i mean obviously went through a phase like everyone did through their their mid-20s late 20s early 30s where they they just kind of fell out of love with it not fell out of love with it but like kind of other factors came into play obviously girls video games going out going to the pub, seeing your mates, going down to football, all that sort of thing. I think that's just part of growing up. But I think every Sabutio collector and enthusiast says pretty much the same thing. They get back to a point in their life where they just want to kind of relive that nostalgic view that they had when they were a child. Um, and that's kind of what's happening now. I think the vast majority of us online are very much like in our 30s or later, 40s, 50s, whatever, 60s. I think when you get to that point... Um, I think you just your love for it just grows more and more, and that's kind of what's happening with me now. Um, I, I love it. Um, I can't see myself giving it up. Um, it's got, I mean, I've got a son now. I've got a, a little baby. 
my hope is as he grows up, he'll get into it as well. So I want him to, to become more, um, I don't want him to be like staring at a computer screen or playing the PlayStation all the time. I want him to be getting involved with something that's a bit more like childlike um, like this. So, um, yeah, I, I can't I can't see myself giving it up unless, I don't know, um, Swago <laughs> take over the world and start doing something. Mm. I don't know, but I've, yeah, I think it's it's here to stay, to be honest, mate. Ross Makovic there, hoping to pass on his addiction to a new generation of players. Like Ross, Simon Stewart has managed to kick the habit, but only for short periods of time. Here he is explaining how he feels that keeping, rather than kicking the habit, has actually been good for him. I did give up, I've given up twice in my life. The first time was, I think, the same time that everyone quits, about 17, 18. Uh... And yeah, I went. I, I moved to Scotland when I was eighteen to Edinburgh, and I pretty much gave up then. I found uh, I found Scottish beers and whiskies, and that was the end of that for a few years. And then I got back into it, two thousand and two. I don't know why. I think uh, by that stage, it, I had a family, uh, my kids, and I wanted was looking for something to do. And I got playing again in two thousand and two. Went to the World Cup, a few of us with Northern Ireland, and then. A few years after that, about 2006, 2007, I gave up again. I'd been playing with my daughter and she had reached the age of 14, 15 and she didn't want to play anymore. So it was a bit harder for me to justify going away for a weekend to play without her. So I gave up again uh, and only two years ago. So I gave up for about 10, 10, 11 years. And then in 2018, uh, I decided to make a comeback again. But uh, and I... I don't know if it's if if it's good to mention this, but uh, yeah, I, I made my comeback in two thousand eighteen because I was going through some mental health problems and I was looking for something to do and sort of get out of the house and try and try and make friends again. And yeah, I seen a club up in Derry and I contacted them and I started to make then a a, a fortnightly pilgrimage up there to play them and that really got me back into it then. And Lawrence up up in Derry as well. He got me into painting again, which I hadn't done since I was a kid. Uh, and I think now I'm here to stay. Well, one way or the other, I'm here to stay. I don't think I'll be giving up again anytime soon. Next up is Paul Darks. <laughs> what a brilliant question. Uh, Derek, I don't think I could. I, I'd rather give it away. I, I would never, I would never sell it. Um, Getting clean, my God, it sounds bad. Uh, never, mate. I'd, hopefully, hopefully, I've still got a few more years left. It, but uh, you know, I'm sitting in the room now, and I look round, and I love it. It just makes me feel good about myself. I don't think I could ever get clean. No. <laughs> Alan Crampton is another who feels unable to give up the game. No, no, that will never happen. So what is it about the game that, that keeps you hooked? Um, well, first of all, my love for football. Um, and when I was a young lad, um, I think um, a bit like Keith Littler, I had an awful lot of different tabletop football games, um, which is why I love his show so much. Um, uh, and obviously the most realistic of those is Sabutio. David Hoggard regularly considers giving it up, but in the end, he knows how important the different aspects of Subutio are to him. And that's what he thinks will definitely keep him flicking. 
it normally happens when I'm having problems painting. <laughs> um, you know, when you, you know when you try and paint a kit and it just all goes horribly wrong. You know, it happened like a few, a couple of months ago. I was rushing to try and get a lot of teams finished, you know, for my solo league. And I was just going, oh, no, I just can't get this right. And I, you know, so you have a bit of a diva moment and then, then you just calm down a bit. <laughs> um, I mean, like I say, from the collecting point of view, the market's overheated at the minute um, anyway. But I, I'm just enjoying what I'm doing, you know, and it's just as long as I'm enjoying it, I don't think I'll give it up. Stephen Hurrell, on the other hand, is someone who has never wanted to get clean. <laughs> I've never wanted to get clean. I have considered selling some of the collection and making a bit of space. Um, I have considered not blogging and just trying to enjoy the hobby for what it is. Um, but never really seriously consider it because it's just too fun. But I'll leave the final word to Stuart Grant, who I think sums up perfectly how important our particular drug of choice is to all of us in the Subutio community. <laughs> oh, I like that, getting clean. Um, many a time, many a time. Both, probably probably mo- the, the, the main two times I've probably thought that is when I've had both my little boys. So the first, t- first time when I had my little boy five years ago, I, I, I really sort of held back on what I was buying and I thought, oh, maybe I'll just stop buying. Maybe I'll just finish the stadium and then that'll do it. And in fairness, I did really in for a little while. But when my little boy come along last year, we've got a, he's going to be one in March, no May, sorry, which is crazy. When he come along, I thought, oh yeah, really should reel it in. But then, because at the same time, I've run the channel, I've run the feed, I really enjoy doing it. And I thought, if I was to give this up, I I would be missing a massive part of my life and what I do in my spare time. And I don't think I could give that up. It does, it does sound like a druggie. Doesn't it? it sounds like a drug addict or an alcoholic's response that if I gave it up, I'd have a hole missing and I'd end up filling that with something else. So I might as well just keep filling it with Sabutio. <laughs> this episode has certainly made me feel better about my own obsession with Sabutio. At the end of the day, we all know it's just a game. But at a time when the stresses of modern life have never seemed stronger, it's good to know that there's somewhere we can retreat to in order to decompress. Gamble Aware, the body that supports those whose addiction to betting gets them in trouble, have a motto, when the fun stops, stop. With Subutio, it's clear from this episode that the fun's never going to stop, at least not until we've all exhaled our last breath. In the next episode, we'll be looking at stadium building and talking to the people who have taken the ultimate step down the road of their addiction and created arenas in which to recreate the matches of their youth. So if you don't want to miss the show, then subscribe to Finger Flickin' Good on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Cast, Anchor or wherever you get your podcasts. Finger Flickin' Good is an airtime production. It's written and presented by me, Derek Ayer, with contributions from Alan Crampton, Paul Darts, Stuart Grant, David Hoggard, Stephen Harrell, Ross Makovich, and Simon Stewart. The theme music is Drive. It's written and produced specially for the programme by Campbell Air of the Future Appeal. Check them out on Apple Music, Amazon Music, and Spotify.